so good. Amen. Well, I feel a a roaring in the house. Amen. Today it's good to see you, brother. Amber. I told him, I said, as much as I am happy to see you guys, I'd really just miss Mackenzie. <laughs> Easy. Easy. I've been doing a study on Wednesday nights in the book of James. And this morning, uh, I'm going to flip that to this, that would I would plan on speaking Wednesday, I want to flip it this morning. Is that all right? That way you guys who haven't been able to be on Wednesday nights, you get a nugget of what's going on on Wednesday nights. Amen. (laughs) So I'm going to look into James chapter 2, and I'm going to be looking at uh, verses 14 through 26. As you're turning there, you know, we are singing about a great, awesome God, right? How many remember that old song? Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Lift up your anthem. Let your voices ring. Praises to our King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Oh, great and mighty is He. The reason I pause is because some sing voices and some sing anthems, right? So I just want to hear what y'all's version was. Thank you, Derek, for your <laughs> for leading that. Amen. Now, when we understand that God is an awesome God, that God is a great God, should that not solicit a great response to a great God? Amen? I mean, if we recognize that He's God, we recognize that He's Almighty, we recognize that He's the creator of the world, He's the author and finisher of our faith, we are the workmanship of His hands, when we understand all of that and we speak those things, there should be a sense of that affecting how we respond to Him. Because when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we understand that Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? So we, we have a faith in God, and, and, and that should move us to verse 6. It says, without faith it is impossible to please Him, for those who come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. So in other words, if we express that that is our belief, that God is great, that God is awesome, that God is big, that God is real, that God is inevitably working in my life, then therefore, out of the faith that I believe that He is, there should be some type of response coming out of me that expresses that in my life. Amen? Y'all agree with that? Amen. So, in James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What use is it, my brother, if someone says his faith He has faith, but has no works. Can that faith save him? Hmm. 
James, what are you saying here, buddy? What are you trying to tell us? Now, when I look at this and, 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 and you consider this in the whole, because it's easy to take Scripture out of context. Come on. How many know there's a whole lot of religion denominations started out of context? <laughs> and so, when you look at this, you're, you're looking and, and you're saying, what are you saying, James? Are you saying that, that my life and my salvation is based on my works? Is that what he's saying? No. At first look, if you don't take the whole of Scripture into context, you would think that James is actually fighting against the Apostle Paul because we understand that, uh, that the Apostle Paul emphasizes that man must be saved through faith alone, right? We, we see that over and over throughout Scriptures in Romans chapter 3 and 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We see that. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Galatians chapter 2 and 16, the, the last part of that, well, the whole thing, but the last part says, since by, the work, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, well, what's, what's he saying here? How's he lining up? Is, is James fighting with Paul? Is he contradicting? Is, he, is there something going on here that we don't understand? But then I begin noting the emphasis that when you look at James in all the universal New Testament, we see this, this connotation, we see this word happening. And so James is not necessarily in conflict, but we need to understand what he's saying. Because when you, when you think of John the Baptist, for example, in Matthew chapter 3 and 8, he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, then there should be some sense of change in my life. There should be a, another direction that I'm going in. Would you agree with that? Amen. Amen. And, and then Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter, 15, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light show shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Hmm. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, 20, he says, he's talking about, he's talking about false prophets who had entered in and, and, and the fruits that they bear. He says, you will know them by the fruits they bear. Come on. I think I done got quiet on me now. So, what's he saying? I think that we all need to understand that that whatever decision we make for Christ Jesus, there is an ethical effect that we'll have on our faith. There is, a, there is a response that we should give. There is something that will come out of us. It's not just, I believe, and I just keep on doing anything and everything I want to do the same way I've always done it. Because if you truly encounter the presence of God, you know that in that encounter, something has changed. I mean, when you understand that we are not the old man any longer. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That also means that our attitude, our actions, and everything else flowing out of that has changed a direction. A lot of times we, we see those who strictly adhere to a, a portion of what Paul says and, 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 and that it's only by faith and yet we 
we only believe as faith being just words, as if it's just a declaration. How many understand that? How many, how many have encountered folks who just want to believe in a declaration, but yet they have no actions that follows their declaration? Come on. I'm preaching better than y'all amen right now. Come on. I mean, you also have to understand that Paul understood that there would be an expression of Christianity that, that, that has a deeds-oriented life following that. I mean, when you look at Romans 2 and 6, he speaks of God who will render to every man according to his works. He insists that everyone of us shall give an account of himself before God. In Romans chapter 14 and 12, he urges men to put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light in Romans chapter 13 and 12. In other words, on and on, he discusses what our labor should look like after we have accepted Christ as our king and we've allowed the gospel to permeate our life. Amen. I mean, there is still the fact that James... When you look at it, it looks like there's a variance in the front end. But I believe what James was looking at is that, is that the fact that there were those who were twisting Paul's words. There were those who were living out an extremism of, uh, some would call it Paulinism. You know, I resent that Pauline because my daddy, when I was little, he called me Pauline. made me mad every single time and sometimes I'd get Paulette and Paulette if you're watching I love you but I didn't like it but anyway there, there's a sense that there was a perversion of what Paul had been saying and and they were relying on the scripture of Acts chapter 16 and 31 it says believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved now we we would say yes I believe and what Jesus has said, and guess what? We will be saved. Amen? And so what is, what is being grappled with is this word believe. What does believe do for you? What does believe, uh, how does it change your life? And I believe there's two different kinds of belief, right? I believe there's a belief which is, that, which is just intellectual, we believe it because it is a factual thing. For instance, uh, I believe that the square on the hypotenuse of a right-angled triangle equals the sum of the squares of the other side. Who cares? Those of you who are in geometry right now, you need to know that. And you should care. But knowing that, I, I could take you and and, and, and have one of my kids prove it to you. <laughs> but it doesn't have an effect on my everyday life. I'm not going around thinking of that hypothesis. I'm not going around wondering how does that affect me. I'm not going around thinking of you know, all of those factors. But let me tell you the other side of belief. Because I believe that two $5 bills equals $10. Amen? And I'm not going to pay more than $10 for two $5 hamburgers. It's a deep down conviction. It's something that not only do I believe and not, not do, do I understand, but it is a conviction that I know this is true. Right? And I believe that is the difference between these belief systems is that some people 
have allowed this head knowledge of Jesus and they believe that Jesus is real. They believe that God is real in the intellectual side of their being, but they've not allowed that to affect the emotions and the, and the actions that they take every day. It's not the centrality of Christ. It's just the knowledge of God. Amen. And I believe that God, that Paul, when he wrote, he understood that, listen, this faith will change your life. This faith will do something in you that, that nothing else can change, that nothing else will, nothing else will do. You, when you have this kind of faith, it will change everything about you. So James, when he was writing this, he, he, he is literally, uh, he's condemning the profession without practice. He's, content, he's condemning the, the words without action. He's condemning the, the idea that, that you can just be saved and then go on and do nothing else for God. Amen. Amen. So the other side is, is that you've got to realize that there's two different time frames when, the, when, when this was being written. Because the Apostle Paul was writing at the beginning of somebody's relationship with God. He's writing to, he's writing to contradict the, the system that he, that, he was, uh, that he was fighting against, the Jewish system of works-based religion. And so he was trying to help them understand that you can do all that stuff and still not be right with God. I mean, he declared them. He says, you come and you say, well, I'm Abraham's child. And if I'm Abraham's child, then, then I am God's child. He said, look, all of your pandering to God, thinking that you can do all this stuff and be right with God, that's not going to work. It's only as you trust Jesus Christ in faith in Jesus Christ alone is the only avenue to God the Father. Come on, amen? Amen. Amen. So there has to be this, this desire that when we come to the Lord and we allow Him to be the Lord of our life, that it produces something in us that produces an activity and a praise to Him. It goes on, and in, 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 we'll read on in verse 15. It says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in, and in need of daily food, and one of you say to, to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled and yet you do nothing to give them what is necessary for their body. What, is, what use is that? Even so, faith, if, if it has no works, it is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Hmm. The one thing that James is struggling or fighting with is they can't stand the profession without practice. It, it's kind of like having a sympathy without an attempt to do something about what's going on around you. I mean, think of... All right. If you think, if you think of the Jewish system, the Jewish system was all about giving alms. How many understand that? And, and matter of fact, if you look at uh, a giving of alms for a Jew was almost as equal to righteousness before God. Uh, uh, another scripture that we have not included into our canon, which is the Talbot, uh, talks about them giving, uh, giving alms to be, to be able to be into the face of God. And so, therefore, they understood what he was saying. They grasped what he was saying. What James was saying, hey guys, 
If you say that you have faith and you don't have works, it's like saying you believe God and you're not giving alms because your righteousness is not working before God. He's saying, look, if you trust God, it will display in your actions. It will display in your character. It will display in everything you do from that day forward. You know, there was another side because there was also the Stoics. The Greek had a group of people called the Stoics that never allowed their emotions to be engaged. They didn't want to be, in, they didn't want to be emotionally involved because it would mess up their euphoric idea of life because when you allow emotions and sympathy and, and pity to happen in your life, it took away from the serenity that you would have in your relationships every day. And guess what? There's a whole lot of people who have gotten so stoic in their relationship with God that they don't want to be engaged emotionally. They don't want to be engaged with anything else. All they want to do is say, I believe you, God, and don't affect anything else of me. God help us, right? God help us not to get in that place because James is rightly saying, look, if you believe in God and, and God is speaking through you and using you, then you will be impacted. If there is something that, that God brings into your heart and you have sympathy for that, then therefore you must move to action. You can't just say, well, look at that poor person over there. I'll pray for him. Not in the sense that if you have the ability to do something about it, then you are in charge. You've been engaged to do something for those who are in need. Amen? Our, how, much, how much better would our world be if we, when we engage in seeing something of a need around us, we actually did something about it? How many, because if you think about it, a true injustice is having the ability to change a situation, being moved by God because you see it, and then not doing something about it. Amen. Amen. God help us. I mean, because the reality is, is that how often do we see an abuse and we just turn, our, we turn a blind eye to it? How often do we see somebody in pain and we just turn a blind eye to it? How often do we see someone struggling and we say, well, we'll pray for you and we never pray and we never do anything. We never make a phone call. We never engage them to see them in a better place. All we do is we say religious, uh, religious jargon, but do we ever truly activate our faith in doing something about it? I had a young lady who visited us in Honduras from Lee University and 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 over and over I've had I've had kids come and and they get overwhelmed by the by the scenery and and they fall in love with the idea of being a missionary they fall in love with the idea of trying to help somebody else and 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 all these false promises that people make oh when I get back home I'm going to send a thousand dollars to help that need right there Oh, when I get back home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from church to church and I'm going to raise money and I'm going to do that. I'm going to change my life. What's so unique is that you can take a group of students and you can take them into the, into the dump and, and see people living in tent huts and on top of mounds of garbage as they go through the garbage. And, and you can feed them and you can walk through that and you can mush down into the, the, to the filth of that garbage dump and and, and, and the smell is so horrid that, that when you leave, it's still the stench is in your nose. And you're thinking, how in the world am I going to get the smell off of my clothes and off of my life? 
and, 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 and they walk out of there and they get in the van and they're, they're crying and they're impacted and their life is transformed and changed and, and, and you put them in the van and, and, and you go because I always do this right before lunch. And then I take them to, you know, this little nice, better not talk about food right now because it's getting about that time, right? I take them to get this nice grilled chicken and grilled fish and all these nice vegetables and, 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 and they're thinking, man, what a beautiful meal. And then they're all laughing and giggling and all cutting up. And, and I look at them and I say, have you forgotten where you just were? And just like that, we can slam the door on the sympathy that we just once felt and transition into something else as if it never happened. This one little girl, her name's Brianna Prue. She might even be watching this morning. She's a great friend. She's, uh, Lord willing, heading back in September to Honduras. She came down and, and two years before, and she was... Um, she was all like, I'm going back, I'm going to finish my degree, and I'm coming, moving back, I'm going to get here, and, and I just can't wait to, to come and serve in the school, and, and I'm like, yeah, okay, that's good, it's exciting. And then she called me, she says, well, I, well Pastor Paul, I'm still, I'm still serious, I still want to come, but, but I really want to finish my master's, I'm like, that's good. My mind is like, yeah, she didn't check that box. She finished her master's degree and called me. She says, when can I start? That was, uh, that was July. She finished her master's in August. She moved. And now she's in her fourth year of serving in the school. She is the head over our English department. And she is transforming our school. She is an amazing young lady. Look, we might all, not all be able to move to Honduras. But there are needs that are around the corner of our life. There are needs that are all around us. And the Lord's saying, look, if you have faith in me, then how is that being displayed into action in your everyday life? If you're truly, if, if I have truly impacted you, if I have truly changed you, what does that look like in the world that you're living in right now? What response are you giving to the knowledge that you call me great God? What great response are you giving to that? God, help us. Help us. Amen? But some of you may say, well, I have faith. My answer is, I have deeds. Show me your faith apart from your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. By Means of my deeds. You say that you believe there is one God. Excellent. The demons also believe the same thing and shudder in terror. What's he saying? What's he saying? He said, look guys, it's not and or if and and. It, it's, it's both. It's got to be both. It's got to be always. He said, look, it, it's like the demons. He said, even the demons believe. Even, listen to this, guys. Even those who've been deceived by Satan. Even those who, 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 who are gone, who've been cast out of heaven. Even they believe it and they tremble. Do we even tremble at the understanding that God is awesome, that God is mighty, that God is glorious? Do we do anything that would show our response to God? 
I know that over the past few weeks that my heart has been in a place of revival. And this may not look like revival to you. <laughs> this might not look like shouting and running and jumping off over the pews and swinging from the chandeliers and you know, dancing. and sh- This might not look like revival to you. But I'm telling you that this is the ground level of what revival looks like. This is the basis of revival because when we get to a place of understanding that God has called us to repentance and that repentance requires a response and when we begin to move in repentance and we begin, begin to move in faith before God and recognize that He's the mighty God, then there will be an action out of us that will change the world. It will change the way we live daily. It will change how we wake up in the morning and how we look to God. It will change the idea of how we relate to God. It will change the idea of how much time we spend in His Word and how much time we spend on our knees before Him. It will change our relationship because there will be an awakening in us. Now look, this is not religious people. I'm not trying to shove an amount of rules down your throat and say, this is how you're supposed to live. But I want you to understand that Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. No longer I, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh is because of Christ Jesus in other words what I'm trying to encourage you is this is that because of Christ's love for you he's given you an ability to live for him he's given you something that 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 can be that you can be filled with his spirit that allows you to live this life that allows you to be a servant of God to allows you to be able to respond to him in a way that allows you to overcome the flesh that allows you to overcome the past allows you to overcome all of those circumstances because you've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit you can't do this by yourself you can't live this life on your own But, if you declare in your life that you have faith, then in that faith, it demands an action. This morning, I I really believe, many of you saw a post that I shared, it was from Brenda Copeland, a great a wonderful lady evangelist out of, I think she's out of Alabama. I've met her a few times. A phenomenal lady. And look, I believe that we're moving into a season of revival. And, and, and what I feel like the Lord is speaking to me is prepare my people 
for a new move of my presence. I think we're so caught up in the waves of COVID and the waves of violence and the waves of politics and the waves of all these other things that we've gotten distracted off of the fact that God's still God and He's on the throne and that in the midst of this chaos there should be an expectation to see Him move. There should be an expectation that we that we get on our face before God because let me tell you something, prayer changes things. I'm not, I'm not denoting or, or demoting the, the position of prayer in our lives. Yes, there should be prayer. Because faith means that I'm going to pray to God. But also, we need to allow that pray, prayer to provoke something in us that moves us to an action for the glory of God. It may not be that we start out, you know, with this great tent revival meeting that, that we've had dreams of or whatever. It may not be that, that we accomplish, you know, winning our whole neighborhood tomorrow. But it just might be that we knock on somebody's door and we say, I know you're social distancing. But is there anything I can help you with? How does revival start? It starts by allowing the Lord to place someone on your heart and you doing something about it. Miss Chris, stand up. I said, Chris, I'm sorry, Chris, you stand up too if you want to. Stand up right there. I don't know if you get to read some of the posts that she shares, but I've had the privilege of sitting down one-on-one and hearing the stirring passion that's in her for evangelism. She she wants, I mean, look, it, it can almost feel like she's being pushy. She said, look, y'all, I'm going down to Knoxville. I'm going down to this park. I'm going to do a prayer walk. Y'all should come too. In other words, the Lord is instilling a passion in her to see people transformed for the glory of God. And I, I think that's beautiful. I think it's exciting. And I think that the Lord is shaping and molding and growing you and and. And I don't know about you, you know, I don't know where you line up on understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I believe in the, in the fivefold giftings of, of the church, amen? He gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, right? I believe in those giftings. Some people see them like this, where one's bigger than the rest, but I see them like this because when every one of them are act- activated, they're all working together to impact. And so, Amber, I'm thankful that you can sit down. I'm thankful that, that there's a gifting in you for evangelism. And I believe God's going to use you to help spark an evangelistic idea within our church to do something. And just as I recognize there is evangelistic gifting in you, Derek, I believe you are gifted as a teacher of the gospel. 
I believe that there's, there's apostles and prophets and pastors in this room. Somebody says, well, you're the pastor. Look, every one of us can be gifted with pastoral giftings of care and ministry. And I believe that God is wanting to activate those gifts in this body so that we can see a greater impact into our community. You know, I, I don't know if you understand this, but pastoring is never a one man's job. Look, I'm just serving the pastor. And I'm here to encourage the giftings within you to be fulfilled for his purpose. And I'm asking you, based on James, that don't just believe. Don't let it just be an intellectual knowledge that you have about God that justifies a salvation but without any acknowledgement of the actions that should follow. But let that belief so impact you that it changes the thought processes. It changes the convictions. It changes the ethics of, of who you are that allows you to want more of God and do more for God. I believe that God is going to empower and equip you and I'm thankful that God has raised up some great people in this church that's going to help that process of equipping the saints for the work of ministry till we all come to the maturity. Come on. And as we grow, we're going to see God do the miraculous. Amen? Amen. How many want that this morning? Amen. Amen. Can you just lift those, those hands right now? And I know this was, like I said, I, I know this is probably not the shouting, you know, type message, but I pray that this is a deep stirring in your spirit. Father, I thank you, God, that you are stirring me to greater depth. That you're stirring me to, to draw near to you. Your word says draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I, I, I pray God that there's a stirring in us that says I'm not satisfied with the complacent relationship that I have with God. But I want more. I pray that there's a stirring in us that, that has a, an understanding of the depths of our need for for. For your truth to be poured into us. And Lord, I pray that we understand that your word is truth. And Lord, that we will spend time cultivating a relationship with you. Just as we did when we, when we first met the love of our life. Our wife, our spouse. God, we spent time. We spent hours upon hours on the phone. We spent hours and hours of getting to know one another. Lord, how much more do we need to spend time? with you to get to know you to hear your voice to express how much love we have for you and and hear how much love you have for us 
God, may we forever be changed to want more of you. That it's not a Sunday morning only worship time. But God, that we stand daily in prayer, in relationship, in communication with you. God, fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Renew us, Father. Let revival stir in us as we continue to draw near to you. In Jesus' name.